Dear teacher, if you're like me, you struggle with knowing how much time, effort, and energy you should give to the job. For me, my lessons feel like they're never good enough. I often worry that I have not given enough to assessing my students' progress, and I am constantly, constantly tinkering with my craft to make it just a little bit better. And when I give so much of myself to the job, I often don't leave enough time for the other parts of my life that matter too. I have missed moments with loved ones. There have even been plenty of occasions where I am at the same location with my family, but I'm not really present with them. As my wife and I started having children, this started to eat at me more and more. And a few years after my first child was born, I started to ask myself, am I present at home? This episode of Dear Teacher, Don't Give Up will be a bit different. We're going to hear from the spouse of two teachers who, at one point, let their dedication to teaching and learning start to take over time at home. First, you will hear from M.A. and Rob Skidmore, whose story begins in the United States, but through opportunities over the past few decades, has led them overseas, back home, and then now, finally, enjoying life in Geneva, Switzerland. And... On the episode making her podcast debut is my wife, Lindsay. But just before we jump into these great conversations, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of Dear Teacher Don't Give Up, a monthly podcast that features the stories of real teachers who have experienced being overwhelmed, burnt out, or demoralized by their time in the classroom, and yet found a way forward and are now thriving in the job that they love. As you listen, if you find it adds a little value to your day, week, or month, consider subscribing, ranking, and sharing Dear Teacher Don't Give Up with your professional learning network. Now, let's hear what it's like to live with a teacher sometimes a little too dedicated to their craft. So joining us on the podcast today is M.A. and Rob Skidmore. I've been interacting with M.A. online for a while. And she has quite a tale to share. Also, just wanted to really bring her in and get her perspective about the time in her career where she was thinking about leaving the classroom for good. But also, she was willing to invite her husband on to talk about his perspective because as teachers, we are more than just teachers. We have life outside of the classroom. We have families, loved ones. And what we do in the classroom also impacts life outside the classroom. And I thought we would hear from both a teacher and her spouse about that experience. So welcome, Emma and Rob, to the, the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. We're really excited to uh, participate. I love this podcast. Um, I listen to it a lot, and it, it helped me get through those hard times. Thanks for that. And Rob, anything to say before we jump in here? She's been talking a lot about this and about your podcast, so I think it's, it's also uh, great to hear you in person and to listen to how this works. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to just jump right in and kind of do a little introduction uh, question. So I'd like to hear a quick rundown. We're going to talk to MA first and just share a little bit about your background in education and yeah, take it away. Well, I'm an English teacher and I've been teaching for 22 years, uh, mostly in the middle school. Um, I started in DC at a private alternative school and I was teaching in Maryland suburbs for about six years, um, all in public education. Um, in a variety of different uh, subjects. I started as a Spanish teacher and then uh, moved into English. Uh, I was a team leader for uh, grade level. Uh, and then I moved back and forth between U.S. and Geneva, Switzerland, and ended up here in 2009 and took a position as head of English in the middle school. 
And I spent some time mentoring teachers and doing ed tech work, but mostly teaching uh, middle school English. All right. Wow. That's a, quite a resume you got there. And during that time, so I'll switch to Rob real quick. Um, during that time, Rob, what were you up to? In the, in the mid-90s, I started a career in international development, so working in promoting uh, economic development uh, primarily in Africa, but also in developing parts of Asia and elsewhere. That started in Washington, in that area, and that's when MA was teaching in Maryland. We had the opportunity to move with my career to Geneva around the early 2000s, and I was very lucky. MA also had a career that was portable, so she could come here and be a teacher. We moved back once, so we, we went back to our old jobs in Washington, and we came back for good, as MA says, in 2009. And it's at that time also that uh, I would say I began to travel a lot more, which also was very lucky for me that MA didn't travel in her work. Okay. You guys, uh, it, it's not just the two of you. There's more yeah. family. Okay. Yeah, we are raising our two daughters, Isabel and Celeste, and uh, they grew up mostly over here in Geneva, in Switzerland. Um, and that was great to, to raise uh, two children in a bilingual environment. And they were attending public school here in Switzerland and then moved on to private school. Um, and I'm currently in a private international school um, because, uh, yeah, I can't teach in the public schools because that's all in French. And I do speak French, but not good enough to teach in, uh, in their system. Okay, that's fair. So when we first came into contact with each other, it seemed to me like you had a real like, grip on your profession um, in teaching and you were really enjoying it and, you know, progressing, really making good connections with people on Twitter, also in your, uh, where you're located over there in Europe. But you've shared also too that teaching wasn't always a joy. So can you walk us through sort of the, you know, how did that happen? How did that come about when you sort of lost that loving feeling for the profession? <laughs> yes, I think we all come off on Twitter as often as that everything's great and everything's on an upswing, but that's not always the case. And it makes me happy to see when people share honest stories through Twitter or through other venues to, to let people know that it isn't always ups and you know, ups, that there are also the downs. And that's happened throughout my career. I think we all have our ups and downs uh, throughout our careers, but when you start having more downs than ups and things start to, to, to spiral kind of out of control, I think that that's where I really felt like I, I wanted to leave the profession. I thought seriously about that. It started because I became head of English for middle school and I saw so many possibilities um, beyond my classroom, things that I could do with the department. I was working with my colleagues to build a strong English team and starting to make positive changes in my system. Uh, my colleagues and I were writing new standards, creating materials, um, and I was guiding teachers uh, through um, their, so, so for some of them, certification process. Um, and we were just doing great things in our department. Um, and we started to become one of the most respected and innovative uh, departments in the school. But I started to come up against some limits and limitations in that job, um, just a variety of different things, um, budgeting for classes, uh, performance evaluations, decisions about staffing and class makeups and our programs. Um, and our school is a private school, so we're, we're in it for the students, but we're also a business. Mm. Um, and I started to feel like I was 
I didn't want to compromise my ideas and the ideals about what my classroom and my department should be. Um, and as I, I think leading from that, I just started to feel that I was unable to affect the change um, that I wanted to see happen in, in, in the department and in my school. Um, and that kind of led to this spiraling into complaining all the time and negativity about all the things in the organization that wasn't working properly or correctly in my mind. Um, I became hyper-focused on the minutia of the of of everyday teaching and every decision had to be poured over again and again. Mm. Um, I struggled to, to find balance and I, in my personal life and in my professional life, I started losing sight of the priorities and really it started be, to become a, a grind and which was unsustainable. Mm. Um, I found that I was irritable with my family and my friends I was working all the time, never seeming to be able to finish the job. Mm. Um, I was not sleeping very well at that time and feeling a lot of dread about going to work. You know, that feeling you get up in the morning, mm -hmm. you're like, I just can't do it today. I have to call in sick. I can't do it today. Um, this kind of coincided with my, my own children leaving home, going off to university mm -hmm. over two years. And I found that a struggle as well. So that freed up a lot of time for me to be able to continue to obsess and work endlessly and not really deal with why I was so unhappy. Mm. Um, it came to a breaking point because I just really started planning, when can I take long-term sick leave? How can I do this to maintain mm. my reputation and still, but I can't, I can't keep going at this, at this rate. So. Yeah. Yeah. I hear, oh man, I hear some of what you're saying. I I've struggled with in a parallel way too, where, I kind of have these, this vision. And especially when I was um, a department chair, I had like the ideal of what I wanted to accomplish. And there were those limitations. And some of them just were completely circumstantial. Most of them were completely circumstantial. I don't think anybody I was teaming up with didn't think that my ideals were not worth pursuing, but they just, we couldn't for whatever reason pursue them. And then something you said reminded me of uh, a friend of mine who early in her career, she had a, a rough year and she would actually, she was such a go-getter type person that she was never, ever going to quit. Um, and she was always going to go to school, but she had that feeling that you're talking about. And she got to the point where she was even, she confessed that she would fantasize about getting in a car accident, oh, that it would no. take her out on like long-term sick leave so that she oh. didn't have to pull the plug herself. Um, yeah. Save and, me and, from my own, my own self kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and she, she got so much stronger from the situation and, and bounced way back because um, it was one of those situations where she was a brand new teacher coming in in like October to a really rowdy environment and struggling to get control and it's her first year and stuff like that. But um, that just, ugh. so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't imagine getting to that point where it's like I'm fantasizing about harm to myself so that I could remove myself from the situation because she was such an idealist. So, All right. And I... I felt like I was really not seeing things. I mean, I didn't think it at the time, but I really wasn't mm -hmm. seeing things clearly. And that, um, that, that grind just didn't allow me to, to understand that the things that weren't going right in my mind mm -hmm. were perhaps nothing to do with me, the team or anything under our control. Mm -hmm. But I somehow thought it was under my control that if I just right. did this one more thing, it could, it could get better. 
Right. And that's, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have a conversation with you and why it's important that we have these conversations publicly too, you know, that we get so wrapped up in the work that we can kind of miss out on this stuff um, and not see it for what it really is. So I'm going to transition now, um, Emma, over to Rob, because while you were going through that, he was having his experience too at home um, with your wrestling. So Rob, what were you experiencing and how did you show MA support during that time? Well, I think what I saw was she was experiencing increasing tension, a, a lack of ability to recharge. There weren't really weekends. There wasn't really time when she wasn't thinking about teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were only times when she maybe had to do a particular activity or had to be somewhere, but, uh, but her mind was, was always on work mm-hmm. at home. I noticed that we were talking increasingly about her work. So I would hear details about students and colleagues, uh, different problems she was facing. And the the conversations became um, more and more intense in a way. And she was turning over these ideas. And I tried, one of the things I tried to help with was to try to identify what in a very, very long list of priorities was a higher priority or a lower and to try to help her identify what would happen, for instance, if she wasn't able to finish grading these tests at a certain time, mm. or what would happen if she wasn't able to plan to 100% of where she wanted to be, or for instance, if she wasn't able to do the induction of certain students that should be coming in at the time she wanted to. Uh, and so trying to help her not feel this incredible, um, overwhelming feeling but also because of my work where I'm a manager to try to help her also see some limits are inevitable. And uh, where she would present to me, teaching is almost, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a calling. And on the, the good side, she loves it. It really energizes her. But on the potential downside, every single thing becomes a very high priority and it becomes an ideal that can't be negotiated. So if there's organizational limits in a way she feels this is, when she's feeling that way, she feels it's unjust. Yeah, that's, ah, oh man, that you have good insight into your spouse's experience. That's, you're describing kind of from the outside perspective, because I'm, I'm with your wife on this one and being, seeing it from the inside, I don't necessarily see it the way you were seeing it, but that's a good, I felt like I kind of looked in a mirror with what you were just saying um, a little bit. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Emma, for you coming back to your story, what was the, so you found yourself like experiencing those incredible lows and, wanting to, you know, fantasizing or actually even pursuing planning for that sick leave. Um, what was the turning point that brought you out of that? Um, when did you recognize that you needed to make a change and how did that come about and what did you do? Um, I think the turning point was really when I I wish I could say it was my, my husband's loving, uh, advice, but really it was that I was becoming that teacher that people started to avoid in the mm. staff room. And I realized I, I was the angry teacher and, you know, and we, I don't know who, where I heard this, but, you know, find the marigolds or find the, the, the people who are supportive of you. And I realized that, that that's the kind of person I was. And I really didn't want to be that person because I, take so much joy and, and, and pride in helping other teachers realize their own goals, but people mm-hmm. started to avoid me because I was so negative about everything. So, so that was really hard for me to, to, to see my, my, 
my colleagues acting like that um, towards me. So Do you mind I if saw, I cut in here for a second? And I wanted ahead. to, yeah, I just wanted to, how did you, like, when did you, that epiphany, like, how did you come to that epiphany? Because I'm like you, I would be like, just kind of going about my business thinking everything was okay. Well, I think it's because I, I'm kind of a, a full on person anyway, all the time. And okay. that energy, people like it and they feed off of it. Uh, and I just sort of had that creeping feeling like people were walking away from me or mm. telling me, calm down. It's not this, it's not as bad as you think. And really, you know, your vibe is making me unable to function in my job. Like we were just having this huge negative snowball. And I, I just, I just saw them kind of turning away, like really literally physically turning away. Um, okay. Th thanks for indulging me there. I don't want you to live in that cringy moment, but <laughs> so, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get you back to your, your story. No worries. Um, so I thought, well, I don't think I can work in this role in this system. So what should I do? Should I start looking for another job? Should I leave? Should I leave the school? Um, and then I just thought, well, I, I kind of just give up. I can't keep going. So I'll go back to doing what I do best, which is being with the students. And it's also what makes me happiest, I guess. I wouldn't say that working with colleagues doesn't because that really, right now, that's something that I, I couldn't live without is that the work with my colleagues. But at that time, I thought, well, I'll just go back in to the classroom and, and give up. Uh, I was uh, slightly disturbed in reflecting for, for this podcast on how many times I use kind of negative, aggressive, war, battle type language when I described mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. But I really felt like I was in a battle. And so mm -hmm. to, to give up was difficult. And I, I really, I just resigned from the position of, um, of head, head, deputy head or head of English in middle school. But that wasn't easy because I saw that as a failure. I thought I'm giving up and I've been beaten. And that is really hard for me to, to handle. So that that's kind of what I did. I, I put in my resignation and almost immediately I just felt this relief, even though I had to carry out that position as most teachers do, you have to carry it out for the rest of the year, uh, the, the current school year. But that was somewhere in February and just immediately felt relief and kind of glided through the rest of the year, focusing on the things that I, I knew I could change. And that, that, that's where it started. Um, so I just started focusing on becoming the best teacher possible and pursuing what I knew had to change about my own instruction. I took that focus from trying to change everyone else and the whole system to what can I change in my own classroom? Um, so I started using my classroom as that lab for change. And I experimented with a few things towards the end of that year, but it was really not until the summer when I started embarking on this kind of PD journey. I, I just started going onto Twitter and uh, following Cult of Pedagogy. Jennifer Gonzalez's work is inspiration to me, Marissa Thompson. Um, and then I did this great video series um, with uh, Ditch That Text Textbook with Matt Miller, participating in Twitter chats all summer. I started to build up my LinkedIn profile thinking, well, that's good to do anyway, because I can take stock of where I am at and I can start building my profile in case I did want to find another job. 
And then I fell into the Edge Protocols book. I ordered that online and was reading that. That's the one by Caripo and Hebert. And that just kind of sparked me over the summer to start planning for what's going to happen in my classroom now that I can devote everything to my students. So I started doing that in September and I got came back with a super positive attitude, recharged, ready to go. I started to share these ideas with my colleagues and they were responsive to my change of attitude and my change of, of behavior. Um, I started speaking more at conferences, um, local conferences, and also uh, in, in other places in Europe, presenting these ideas to, to other students, to other teachers. I started to feel like I was leading from the position of being a teacher, and I was be I was able to speak directly to other teachers as a teacher, thus bypassing the whole system that I was feeling was kind of holding me back. So that fall that I um, uh, that was this past fall, I started a group that I had wanted to have at my at my local school, sort of based on the 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 professional learning network that we have built on Twitter. So I wanted that kind of interaction with my people in my in my building. So I started this group called Forward Thinkers and it's a professional learning community. It's only online. We don't have any meetings, which is <laughs> great. So I hosted that through different things like Shobi and then I moved it over to Microsoft Teams. But I started to talk to people about the work I was doing in the classroom and how we could do this and we could do that and starting projects. And people jumped on and they were really responsive positively to what I was doing. And I really jumped into the teaching of 21st century skills um, and people were enjoying that discussion. So now that's been going on for quite a long time. Admin kind of got news of it somehow. I don't know how that happened, but um, they started to recognize it as being a valuable place, mm. space for teachers to be interacting and working on their professional development. They recognized my contribution, which I think is really important when an administrator administration recognizes its teachers for the strengths they have and what they bring to the community. That just goes a long way in a teacher's book to absolutely make us want to keep going. And we will go to the ends of the earth for that kind of recognition. And it's not a pride thing. It's just saying we recognize that what you're doing is valuable and it's helping others and we see you. And so I really felt that, that they did. And that helped me to keep going. Yeah. I was just going to add like one tiny thing too. I mean, I've had admin kind of publicly say things like, Oh, this is, you know, maybe you get an award or like a gift card or something like that. And those are nice. But like having them put a stamp of approval on something you're doing is improving like the school culture and thing. It's, I mean, even if they just say it in an email or yeah, just to a few people, it's uh, it, that gives life and energy in ways that other kinds of tangible rewards do not. So yes, I hear most definitely. Saying. I think them when they asked me to come in and speak to the senior leadership team to talk about this group and get the support of the of the senior leaders of the school. I just felt like, yay, f let's, let's do this. I'm, it, it energized me and I felt this is where I want to put my energy mm -hmm. and this is where I want to be positive and go for positive change. 
Um, anyway, that has taken off. It keeps growing. Uh, we're, we have a webinar series a local we- for, for local teachers. Um, we're connecting with other schools. And my colleagues have really built, built an amazing community in, in that space. And we're just moving on to bigger and better projects wow. that now involves data and innovation and tech. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that's the thing coming next. We're trying to create our community of learning and uh, infuse all these forward thinking stuff I'm learning on Twitter, basically, from from you all and, and all my colleagues that are doing great things in the US and in Europe and all over the world, in Australia, lots of connections mm-hmm. there as well. I still work all the time. I try to find balance between my life and my profession. I'm not really there yet, but I've stopped complaining all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like my hope has been returned to me and I'm more positive about my, yeah, my job and my contribution. Yeah. I could, I, you can even hear it just in that response you gave, like from start to finish the, uh, the tone in your voice definitely lightened up and felt more <laughs> energized at the end. So yeah, now I want to get Rob's take on this as she was going through this and developing these really cool groups that had value in reinvesting, it sounds like in her own classroom and practice and taking all that energy that she was, that was kind of flowing out in a negative direction and directing it towards something positive. How did you respond to Emma's epiphany and subsequent change? Well, I think it was, it, it you know, it, it, the change that she described really was visible from my side. At the beginning, I think it was hard. Giving up the management post wasn't easy for her, not only because she feels like to, to not continue to do something is a kind of failure, but also because, at least from my perspective, outside the profession, I see a lot of teachers are looking for ways to continue to develop in their career one way is to go to management, but it's not necessarily the way for everybody. I think she was struggling with, if I'm not going to go that route, how can I continue to grow in my career? And I think I saw her struggle with it and then overcome it and to really get that joy and motivation back. Just as you heard in the voice, I see it in her as she comes home, talks about you know how, how students responded, how management's responded. And I think it's also, uh, I've seen this, you know, the, her be able to recharge and be able to take time for herself in other ways. And I have tried also to be supportive of that change to say, you know, to say that giving up the management post, although not easy, was a great decision and that she shouldn't look back and continue and, and continue to, to dive into the great things that she's doing. And it's worked. I, I mean, imagine your support was really instrumental too when it came to like that, like you said, that time where she's decided to kind of give up that, that post and reinvest in her classroom. She's, she was just admitting that it was hard for her to, she's looking at it as giving up, not seeing like what's possible next. And that was probably where your support was most needed. Um, I guess I'm just kind of curious. I wanted a little window in that time, like when things were starting to kind of spiral in the positive direction, Rob, were you just encouraging her a lot more or what did that look like? Yeah, I think I was trying to, I mean, I was, I was trying to help her see also these great, you know, her, her change in the way that she was experiencing it and her, mm. you know, less talking about administrator did this or school did that, or, you know, something was unjust and instead seeing the possibility and the reaction of the students and the colleagues. So to, to try to talk about, to, to, to try to talk about that more. And also to, I think she was more open when, you know, and, and I was also trying to help her find space where we didn't talk about school. Mm. So simply to say, well, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's, let's create you know, a space where you where you can recharge and not not uh, keep emphasizing the same the same points over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I was really really happy to see uh, the, the her love of teaching coming out again. I don't think she ever lost it, but um, 
I, I quite admire the this energy that that I see in her and other teachers. It's it's a profession I think you have to love, and she does, and I think that that she really really recaptured it, and, and uh, it was it was really really nice to see. Yeah. Now maybe you touched on it already a little bit, but just kind of to ask more of a direct question. As you reflect, like on the went down into the valley before she kind of came back up more um, into that more mountaintop experience. Was there anything like during that whole time as she was on her descent and then her reascent? Is there anything that you would like go back and maybe you kind of wish you would have done differently, seeing how it all played out, or is there anything you could speak to for that? Sure, I think I would have maybe pulled the alarm a little earlier. Mm. So there were some points when she she's got a great you know appetite for work. But I think it had gone too far, and I, I felt like it was it was maybe affecting her health at a certain point, and to have to have pulled that alarm earlier and said, "You need to make a decision. You need to think about how you can, what you can do now. If you if you what's important, how what are you going to prioritize, and what are you going to let go because it's unsustainable." I think more importantly, probably I would have much earlier insisted on this space with no talk about school. Mm. So there was some point, for instance, where I said. She she would she would continue to talk to me about a certain colleague or something, and I said, "I'm not going to talk about that anymore." And mm-hmm. in a way, I think that was I think that was quite helpful, uh, rather than to 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 simply always entertain the same conversations. So, Rob, you said you wanted to create a space to kind of not talk about school. Kind of, it sounded to me like it was just more like you wanted to create like a timeout, a safe space where she couldn't you wouldn't let her be sort of injured by either her own ruminations or. Um, anything going on in the job. Is that an accurate and fair description of what you mean by creating a space for her to have no school talk? Very much so. Yeah. To, to turn off the, 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 the thinking, the, the, the constant going over and over the same things and yeah, give her, give her time to also find other things that, that she enjoyed. I think that was really important to give her the energy to go back. I think you also, I remember you really helping me with those kind of questions, like what would happen if you didn't have that lesson planned to within an inch of its life, like what would happen tomorrow if you walked in and you had it 80% done or 60%, like challenging me on this need to do 100% all the time. Mm. And it can never, you, know, you never get to the point where you're 100% happy with your lesson. And in fact, letting go a little bit of my expectations and combined with turning over a lot of control of the classroom to my students made me see things that I hadn't seen before, positive things, mm-hmm. that it's okay to let go. It's okay to turn the control over to someone else because you don't even know what you're missing out on by keeping such a tight rein on on what you're doing. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And uh, I've had conversations with students this past year because I've really, really shifted in how I assess student work. I don't want to get fully into it right now because this is not about, this is not my story. This is your story. <laughs> but the one of the things that um, I was realizing there was a lot of deficit thinking in the way I was assessing student writing in particular. So mm-hmm. a rubric pretty much, I have one rubric that's been, was given to me and it had like six categories and six gradations of like each category. Uh-huh. So it's 36 boxes on this rubric. Mm. And so pretty much 30 of the boxes are about how they're not meeting the the top requirement. So it's, it's 30 out of 36 saying you're not good enough. And then like various levels of you're not good enough to you're really not good enough. Right. And the students internalize that. They internalize that they're they're not performing like perfectly because that's the expectation when you hand them a, an assessment tool like that. So I've really shifted to like, here's where you are. Here's what's next um, in my thinking. And it sounds like you were kind of falling 
to that a little bit too. Am I that you were you were thinking about like it's not one hundred percent? Sounds like my thinking has shifted in assessment almost the way that that Rob was assessing your work too. Is like what happens if it's not perfect? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and the just getting out of that position of being responsible for a for a department and for others enabled me to explore those things that I should naturally be doing in in my career. I had stopped doing that because I was trying to fix everything for everyone else instead of saying, wait a minute, what are we doing and why are we doing this? Mm. You know, being part of that educational reform wave as opposed to just continuing to churn out the same thing that we have been for years. All right. So shifting here. Mm -hmm. um, So Emma, if listeners hear your story and think that sounds a lot like me, and I wonder if my commitment to teaching is affecting my loved ones or even colleagues. How would you advise them to examine their situation? Um, well, it's I'm still trying to find the balance. So I, I don't think I have it all figured out. And um, But I think it's important to just try to step back every so often and check in with yourself instead of grinding on. If you start feeling yourself getting into that panicked grind or the feeling of dread, you really need to stop and 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 check yourself. Another thing I would say is to ask your family and then listen to their response. Mm. Um, try not to get defensive when they tell you things that you don't want to hear. You know that's you know that's what I would advise. Um, I I don't think I think it it's hard to go back and reflect on that moment because mm-hmm. I'm not in that place right now. Right. But I would definitely say that. Um, trying to listen without getting defensive. But we respect our students to do it. So mm-hmm. how can we do that when we're not willing to do it ourselves? Mm-hmm. We're like, just listen to what I'm saying about your writing, but don't get upset if you don't like what you hear. Yeah. Um, um, I would say um, work with your colleagues. Tr- try not to be as isolated as we sometimes are in the classroom. So participate in um a PLC or a larger PLN, PLN, excuse me, to bring um, change to your classroom. Mm-hmm. Again, just to reiterate what, what Rob kind of said, that these admin positions are not always made for the kind of change that teachers want. And you can get sucked into it through this desire to move up or to have higher pay or lighter teaching load. But if it's making you miserable, if it's making your family miserable, then I think you need to stop and ask yourself, who do I really need to be answering to? Mm-hmm. And I have pared that down to, for me, I have to answer to my students and I have to answer to my own moral compass. Mm-hmm. The rest can be changed. You can change your school, you can change your position, your job. But those two things for me is is the bottom line. Yeah, spoken like a true teacher. I mean, exactly what I was experiencing too when it was like things weren't clicking in the position that I was in. Um, and like, because I hear a lot of parallels in your story and in mine, but the the thing that was like, you know what, I have all this energy and I feel like what I'm doing is right and the, the, the way I'm thinking is right and the direction I want to take my teaching is right. And for whatever reason, logistic circumstance, it's not going that direction for me on in my position right now, but I still took all of that purpose and all of that energy and I just directed it to a different, like it flowed in a different direction. And that's when I made make them master it. And um, eventually this podcast and, 
it's been very, very positive. Like you described earlier, it's, it's, um, energized me, it's energized others. And oddly enough, it's also energized those that I work with, um, in ways that I wasn't influencing them when I was in a position over them as their department chair. So, um, definitely identify with what you're saying here. All right. So back to Rob, what advice do you have for spouses of teachers who love their job as much as MA does, as your wife does? I think, um, Maybe I'll come back to some of the stuff I said earlier, but the first thing I would say is challenge him or her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes, you know, we want we we want to be as supportive as we can, mm-hmm. and that means that we're, you know, giving up time we should be spending together with with our spouse because we think teaching is a great thing to do, and the more time you do it, it must be the better. But at some point, you have to challenge it and say this is not good enough. Uh, I I need some time too, and. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a fair, that's a fair thing to insist on. Mm-hmm. Second thing I'd say is teachers love to talk about teaching. They love to talk about students. There are still students I can name that I've never met, but I probably know more about them than their own parents do. <laughs> but it's also okay to insist on creating a space where you're not always talking about uh, school. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that one's teacher, one's spouse will really appreciate having that space. Uh, other thing, I mean, I mentioned it, but to keep an eye out for burnout, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's more subtle than it seems. It's you know there's a certain edge where if, if she's working a lot, this is when she's in her sweet spot, she's doing great. When this tips over into burnout, it's not always obvious. But I think we need to support you know support them by saying, I think you're you're getting into a bad place and you need to you need to look at it. Um, and and to try to help them keep things in perspective. What's important? Sometimes you know I think teachers are idealistic and that's what helps them be so good in the classroom, but they're also that idealism leads to a lack of being able to keep things in perspective and to insist on everything must be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy because as I say to people, you know, what's it like to be a husband of a teacher? Well, teachers are a little bit like cops, you know, they bring their job home. Mm-hmm. And so she, you know, sometimes she doesn't like to be challenged at home, just like she doesn't necessarily, you know, she's got to keep things in, in order at school. Sometimes she's keeping things order at, at, at home. So challenging her is not always easy, but uh, that's part of why we, that's part of why I love her. That's part of why we, we, uh, you know, we have, it's, it's such a great energy to be married to a teacher, Mm. but then it takes a little bit extra energy to insist on one's point and to help them see if, if things are kind of going the wrong direction. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got to get, put the teacher voice away, (laughs) especially when it comes to making dinner or something. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate that perspective. All right. Uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, both coming on to share your perspective about that time, MA, in your career when it it got really challenging and unable to kind of see a way forward, but you did find a way. And that's the really important part that I definitely want to emphasize here is that even when things look dark, you can't see the way forward and you're you're looking for a way out, that usually there's something just around the corner and, and people too, helping us that can get us around the corner and find the light basically and, and get back out of that time. So I'll, Emma, I'll give you the final word here. Is there anything that you'd like to add based on our conversation here between, you know, teaching and the idealism of a teacher and relating with loved ones at home? Um, I, I would just say, just like we are sometimes in isolation in our classroom, don't let that happen to you. If you're in a dark place, don't just take a sick day to patch it up to get back on your feet and then go back in and continue. If, if this is happening you know, more than feels normal 
And, you know, this is not just happening right before exam time or right Mm -hmm. before you go back to school. And if you're finding that you're feeling this way throughout the year at different times, I would say, don't let, don't let that happen. Don't put a patch on it, really stop and say, all right, this is, this has to change. And if it means jumping out of the classroom for a while, like some of our, our colleagues have, have um, told us about on this podcast, even if that's what it takes, then that's what you need to do. But you're not going to be able to sustain just patching it over by taking a sick day, really stop, reevaluate and, and go from there and reach out to your colleagues. Don't stay in isolation, ask for help, say, this is how I'm feeling. What can we do? Not just let's complain about it in the lunchroom, but I need help here and I can't do this alone. Can someone help me to, to find my way through? Wonderful, wonderful. Now, if somebody's really resonating with what you're saying right now, where would they be able to get a hold of you? How could they find you? Well, um, I am on Twitter a lot. Uh, not as much as I, oh, I want to be. I miss out on a lot of really good uh, chats because I'm over here in Europe, but you can always find me there. Um, and my Twitter handle is at SkidmoreMA. And I'm also can be contacted through uh, Gmail at maskidmore1170 at Gmail. And I'm also on LinkedIn. That might be easiest. And I share a lot of my article. I write things that are happening in my in my classroom and, and reflections about that kind of thing. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn as well. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on to share. And I'll put all of this stuff in the, the show notes or the post that I do. And people could get in touch with you if they have um, further questions, especially if they want to find out. I'm thinking if they're like, am I in that sort of burnout? Am I in that dark space? So again, thank you both for coming on. Thank you for sharing both the at school and at home perspective. I think that people are going to find a lot of value in your story. Definitely. And thank you, Jeffrey, for having this podcast, because I think that what you, the unique viewpoint you bring on it is, yes, this happens to everyone. We all want to give up at some point, but there is a positive way through. There's a way to to get beyond that and helping people get back on their feet, as opposed to the, the lunchroom where we often spiral into aiding each other's negativity. Uh, so you, I, I love listening. I'm always excited to hear who's on next and what what story or or perspective I can I can uh, understand about about our profession. Yeah, and now it's so you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, now it's me. <laughs> but yeah, co- contact me, anybody. I'm I'm really excited to share the work that we're doing here and hear about your work too. That was a great conversation. Hearing from Rob, who has never worked as a teacher. Now we will turn to a conversation I had with my wife. Lindsay Frieden. She has a bit of a different perspective on being the spouse of a sometimes over-dedicated teacher. She used to be a classroom teacher herself, but in recent years, her role has changed. You know what? I'll just let her tell you about it. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. We were both just commenting before this started about how normal this is for us to be having a conversation with headphones on in the garage with a microphone. Isn't that right? Yeah, of course. All the time. Before, um, if you've been listening this far, uh, I just went over a conversation I had with uh, Rob and M.A. Skidmore and M.A., an English teacher like me. And this whole podcast has been sort of the spouse's experience. So they talked about that. Now we're going to kind of talk about our experience. It's going to be a little different for me because it's my spouse. So that's different. And I'm going to get to hear her take on this. Uh, before we really get rolling here, though, for the listeners... Lindsay, if you will, give us a little quick rundown about you and tell listeners a little bit about yourself 
Um, well, I, <laughs> I taught art for about four years when we were getting married and all that first stage of our life. Right. And, um, and for junior high and high school. And, and then after that, I got pregnant with our son and we decided that I was going to stay at home. And so that was a big, that was a new change for me. Mm-hmm. And for that, we had three more kids, so four total. And so basically my days are, a lot of driving around and taking them places and helping them with all sorts of things. And yeah, just have lots of different hats on and and just the mom life. And then also on the side, I, I still like to do art. So I do um, some painting and things, making signs for people and just any way I can express that bit of myself. Right. One thing that I say when people ask what you do, if they haven't met you, is I, I say you're that you're the CFO. You're the chief family officer. You really help make things go around here. It wouldn't happen without you. I mean, there's been, yeah, the the house would fall apart if you weren't here. So (laughs) we need you. We love you. Thank you. Moving on to being the spouse of a hyper idealistic English teacher who feels like he's never getting enough done or accomplished or living up to kind of ideals that he set for himself, kind of like M.A. described earlier in episode one, I described kind of my journey too. So what is, what's the most frustrating thing or what are some frustrating things about being married to a high school English teacher? And feel free to have fun with this one. Uh, well, a big thing for me was that there is always grading, always like we will go through a season where, or even it'll be like a couple weeks and you'll say, Hey, I have grading coming. And I'm like, all right. And we gear up for it and you get it done. And I'm like, whew, finally it's done. And then like three days later, you're like, I got a grade again. And I'm like, what? We just did that. <laughs> and so it just, it's just, there's always grading and lots of crates of grading <laughs> that yes. come back and forth and back and forth. And so that's a, that's a big thing. And then another thing is, is that for me, it was hard. I think in the beginning of your first couple years of teaching, probably like after your first five years of teaching, mm-hmm. you would start to get involved in different committees and different and different things like that. And I was like department chair. Yeah. And I would see you pour yourself into it. Like you really had this vision of trying to help or wanting to make it better and things like that. And then just seeing really nothing kind of come of it. And so I, I kind of would get a little protective and I would be like, they're using you. And Mm -hmm. I would be worried because um I would just see you get so excited about something and then get so defeated at the Mm -hmm. same time. And so it was just, it was hard for me to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would just get a little bit defensive and, and protective, I guess. And um, that was just a big thing. Mm -hmm. So one thing, like I always think about how, I mean, I talk about it in episode one where it's like, I have like husband and dad guilt and teacher guilt from the grading. And I'm not very fond of it either. Um, but you're, I mean, you're saying too, that it's, it's putting a, a stress on you. We're going to kind of get into that, I guess, in the next question. But, uh, so let me go to the next question. In episode one of Dear Teacher, Don't Give Up, I told listeners how I felt buried under grading papers and all the guilt I felt in talking about quitting. What was your experience like during that time? For me, it was like being on a roller coaster. Mm. There would be times where it would be, it would go up and it would get easy and, um, or, you know, it, it would start to get hard. I don't know which one up or down, but anyways, <laughs> there were ups and downs. Yes. yes like a roller coaster. Yes. And so I, you know, we'd be gearing up for a grading period or things. Mm-hmm. And then we, 
you would think, oh, it's going to get easier now. And then mm-hmm. it would just happen again. And it was like waves. Well, also, I mean, it seemed like there were several years where I'm like, oh, I got this new system. It's totally going to work and save so much time. Yes. And then it would be exactly the same. Yes. Because you would be like, I have this awesome grading system. I'm going to grade these things this way. And and there was, and I had to, it was a hard time for me because as being an used to being an art teacher, I would grade my whole assignments oh, for the yeah. week within 30 minutes. Here, yeah, let's, <laughs> I remember that. Yes, he would, we would do this. Be like, okay, it's the end of a long week. Yeah, we would call each other on Friday, like, I'm finish f- the, finish the school day. Okay. Like, oh yeah, but maybe he's like, oh man, I have to grade these art projects they've been working on for two weeks. And I'm like, oh sweet, I've got essays to grade. Yeah. So you do yours, I'll do mine, and then we'll kind of like call each other after a while, see how we're doing. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then you would call, like, how long? I don't know, like 45 minutes. 45 minutes or later. 30 minutes later. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. And I was able to grade it, and I entered it, and all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, how are you doing? And you're like, wow, I've been grading essays, and I graded four yes. since I last. Yes. Out of, I don't even know, like, like many classes. So yeah. I was just kind of like, oh. It was hard for me to kind of understand that side because I never really experienced Mm -hmm. that, the type of grading that you had to do. I was just like, why do you have to do all this grading all the time? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And so there was, that was that aspect of it. I think for me, seeing you with all this grading and stuff, I could see you being torn Mm -hmm. between our family life, meaning like you wanted to give input to your students. You wanted to be a good teacher. You wanted to help your students in the way that they, they needed it. But then also, that took time. And so then that took a time away from the family. And then you would feel torn that you weren't mm-hmm. around or helping out or whatever. And then when I'd spend time, like, you know, I'd say, forget it, forget grading. The students are fine. And that would last for a little while. And then I just feel guilty about yeah, neglecting them like yeah. a week later. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then also you, uh, like it would be even a couple of years ago, you felt really torn to take time off work. It would be different things of like, Oh, Hey, the kids have this thing going on during the week. Do you think you'd be able to take it off for school or whatever? And, you know, usually if like you were teaching an AP class, it would be like, oh, no, we're prepping up for their test and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or it'd be like, hey, you know, we're going to have another baby. How much time can you take off? And it was like, oh, about a week. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> All these other women get like their husbands get, I don't know, many weeks yeah. off. And um because it's true, it's you know, it's not like you can just take time off and then all your work just magically gets done. You have to make up for all that week mm-hmm. you've been gone. And and then your students, you know, they don't have you there to help them. And so it was actually really encouraging this year to see a change when we had our fourth kiddo, our last one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, we had the conversation again about how much time would you take off? And, and you told me five weeks. And I was like, what? Five <laughs> weeks? What am I going to do for five weeks? I yeah. mean, three of those were, were scheduled calendared weeks off. Yes. The school, everyone in my school district was taking those three weeks off. Uh, but I, yeah, I took an extra two, which was unusual. I think I was looking at like how many sick days, you know, the hours yeah. that I had, I had like seven weeks because, mm-hmm. because of all those other times I said basically no to the family. Yeah. Oh man, I'm feeling guilty right now. Okay. Um, but it was really helpful. Yeah. It was really helpful because. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. With four kids, you need help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and everybody understood too. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I think the thing that's hard, I mean, you knew this even as an art teacher, you experienced this where 
even when you're out of the classroom, you're still thinking about what's going on while you're not there. You're, mm-hmm. You had to create sub plans and you check up on that stuff. You had like art supplies. You didn't want them to mess with when you were mm-hmm. gone and then they would. And so, yeah, it's, it's feeling like that. Um, one other little part in this too, like when I was talking about a job change. So for like seven years, we had been, well, for four of those, three or four of those years, mm-hmm. we were married, just my income and something I'd only been doing for seven years. And now I'm talking career change. What were you? How did that hit you? It really scared me, actually. Um, I, I was a big, the fear of the unknown. I mean, to put it lightly, that was the big thing. Mm. Because you and I both had teacher jobs and, and mine in the past. And so that was the schedule we knew. I mean, we basically went from elementary school, high school, you know, college, college yeah. then to being a teacher. That's really all we know. Yeah, I mean, and so calendar. Yeah. And so realizing that, oh, you might only get like a week or two off. Mm-hmm. And um and just the aspects of having a new job. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's be honest, you have a philosophy major, mm-hmm. which I don't even know what you do with that. I mean, yeah, teach high school English, I think. Yeah. <laughs> or philosophy. Or, do they even do that in high school? No, no like oh, the college level. I was like, yeah. Wow. But that's fancy. Yeah. Um, that would take like what? Eight more years of, I have to, yeah, never mind. I know. So, you know, I think it's just, there was a lot of fear for me when you would say those things. Cause I know, I, I know what being a teacher is like. Mm. And so that would make me a little stressed out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's flash forward. I mean, like, even though, so I didn't quit, I found, you know, listen to episode one, if you want to figure out what, what changed, but it didn't fully change right away. Like I didn't, it wasn't like I became Overnight, I became this teacher that was like free of stress and everything like that. I still went through all the stresses and the things you were talking about. Uh, but I did, you know, I started saying no to things in the past few years that, that made a big shift. I did make it a big shift in how I assess students this last year too. And you say you really noticed a change specifically, like taking a couple weeks off for the birth of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that a little bit. What's, what have you noticed a big change this last year and how has that impacted you and the family? It has been really refreshing. Hmm. I think in a couple of different ways, just seeing you not being so stressed, uh, feeling that torn between school life and home life. Hmm. Uh, when we have things coming up, you feel like you can take them off and you don't feel guilty about not being there with your students. And, and I think that's part of saying no to certain of those things, the AP or the department chair. And not that those are bad things, hmm. but they take time. Mm-hmm. And, um, we're pretty busy with a lot <laughs> yeah, of children. Yeah. And so um seeing that shift of defining yourself, what is a good teacher and mm. what does it mean? Does it mean I have to be there every single second of of them and, and giving them every little ounce of feedback? Well, no, that doesn't mean what a mm. good teacher is. And so watching you process through that mm-hmm. has been encouraging and, and seeing that, freeing that up, because that does take a lot of thought when you're thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And so, it's hard to be present when you're when you're thinking about that all the time in in what we're doing. Yeah, and you you remarked recently too that you said you thought that I was being was actually more present in both roles, both as like teacher and father husband. Because like when I'm home, I'm a little bit more home, mm-hmm. not thinking about school. And I've certainly been that way at work, where I'm like not just thinking about what I'm missing out on at home. I'm at work working, so it's been better. Yeah, yeah, it's been really nice. I mean. Uh, let's be honest, I'll call you some days after, you know, 
when yeah. I know the bell has ended yeah. and I'll give you a call and be like, get home yeah. right now. <laughs> and you, you know, you're always just like, okay, I'm coming, yeah. I'm coming home. And so that has been really encouraging to me knowing that I can do that and not be like, oh, well, he needs to stay to get these things yeah. done and, and just being able to do that and have you help out in that way. Yeah. And then there's also, I think this year, the most, because one thing I expressed, I don't know, it was like a year ago or something like that, that I'd like you guys to come around more, like have go to like football games or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And this year has been like the most. We did that science night recently. Oh, it was yeah, a lot of fun. It was so fun. Yeah. Kids had fun. So, so it's much been candy. So there <laughs> so much candy. Yeah. Of course it was a fun night. Um, but yeah, it's been fun to just, it's been more present in both roles, but then also both roles have kind of like, we've seen, there's been more part of each other too. So I've enjoyed that. Anyways, this mm-hmm. is about you, not me. All right. So, uh, if someone's listening to this and thinks, I want to talk to my spouse about being more present at home, which, you know, so like some things that they're into their work and mm-hmm. their spouse is into their work and they would like to bring it up, mm-hmm. which sounds really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you recommend a person like approach a conversation like that? Well, I can probably write a book about what not to say. <laughs> I mean, what that was like our first seven years of marriage or more, you know, um, definitely don't be like grading seriously again, <laughs> or don't do the stink guy. Don't do the silent treatment. Don't, um, you know, putting all the blame on that person. Well, you're never around or mm-hmm. you're never doing this. Um, that's never going to go well. <laughs> that's not a good conversation starter. And so I've learned by unfortunately making that mistake a lot mm-hmm. and then having tension and having to work through that. Hey, but you made some good points. I'd have to say that you've over the years you have made good. I didn't want to hear them, but they were some good points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just as a little bit kinder. Got <laughs> <Yeah>. to <laughs> come across. Um, but I think just through different things of me trying to grow and learn. And I've just learned over the years that when a time comes like that, I feel the stress of grading or the torn of maybe you not being around and I, and I need you around. Um, I, I start to get kind of like anxious inside. And so I realized what I need to do is first just identify that. Like, mm. what am I feeling right now? And in the times that I've done that, and when I've come to you and say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling this way right now. I'm feeling really anxious because I need to get blah, 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 blah done. Or I need, I'm feeling really torn right now because I want to do this or I, I need your help, but I don't want to be pushy or whatever. And so mm-hmm. really just expressing the feelings I'm feeling about it mm-hmm. and making it about myself and not about, it is about you, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but not really, you know, not directly about you, but how, how am I fe- being feeling affected by this? Mm-hmm. And then also being honest, like, Hey, right now, I just want to like give you the silent treatment mm-hmm. or I just want to, you know, whatever it is, the things you shouldn't do. Yeah. And, and when I'm honest with that, it kind of helps me too. It helps mm-hmm. me say, don't do that. <laughs> and then it also it, it makes me realize, Oh, I'm feeling all these things and, and that's why I feel like I'm about to explode or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And, um, or anxious and stuff like that. And then when I, when I've done that and I've gone to you, then usually it's like, it's almost just like a wave of compassion just comes over you mm-hmm. and you're just like, Mr. Not Mr. Fix it, but you just want to help me. You know, mm-hmm. you want to come alongside and, and, and I think, and I, and I also acknowledge like, Hey, I, I know you need to get these things done. Mm-hmm. I know you need to get this work done and I know it's important. So maybe some of the things I, I want to get done right now, 
maybe doesn't need to get done, but this is how I'm feeling and things like that. When I've done that, the times I've done that, you, you've come alongside and say, hey, well, let's work together and how we can prioritize things and get things done. And then you really hear how I'm feeling and it just puts us more on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've noticed like my response, like the or the way I feel, I guess, when you're when you say like, hey, this is how I'm feeling and it's stressed and anxious and sometimes even hurt. I've just leaned into those times um, versus when there's been some times when you've like, like, hey, this is what you're doing stop doing that. And it's like, then I get defensive. So I just found myself more naturally like leaning into those conversations. Yeah. If you start a conversation with you never, yeah. you might as well just walk out the door. <laughs> You're done. Yeah. It's not, not going to go as good as you think. Probably. Um, okay. That's really insightful stuff. Appreciate you sharing that. Now that we're kind of at the end of the conversation here, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? I think just being married to an English teacher, or you could be any other teacher. There's just like a dedicated teacher. Somebody yeah. who's like really has more grading than art or PE. <laughs> but, um, that there is going to be grading. There is going to be times when they have to stay late at work and do some things and that's okay. And so during those times, it's important to communicate, mm-hmm. Hey, this is how I'm feeling, or this is what's going on. Or the times that's gone better for us is when we planned ahead because mm. I don't know when your grading periods are sometimes. Yeah. And so it's helpful to say, hey, my grading period's coming up. So then I know, uh-oh, that means he's probably going to get a little bit stressed because he's going to need to get some things done. Yeah. And so then I can mentally prep myself for that, what that might look like. And then also we can work together. Like, oh, I can be like, hey, well, I see that time's coming up. Maybe you want to stay late at work. And then, or, hey, maybe you want to go get... I don't know, go have coffee and then go work on that somewhere else. So you don't have like four little kids going, you know, while you're trying to work. So just working together more as a team, because it is, it's going to come and then it won't end. Trust me. I, you know, it's going to happen the next couple of weeks. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And so you just, I got better. Come on. I got better. Okay. No, (laughs) but like unicorns are not real. Okay. They will always be grading. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And so like one of the things that we've identified too, like in the last four years or so is like October. October uh, is like the dragon that we just going to have to slay. Yeah. It's just going to be tough. It's kind of like that month of but where you realize, all, oh, we're really in school. Yeah. And, and there's no, well, yeah, the students all realize it. The teachers all realize it. That's, it seems to be the, like activities with the kids really ramp up right around that time too. Yeah. So, they start getting involved and stuff. Yeah. So for us, we just know like October is like, let's lock it down. Let's get through to Veterans Day, little break. And then it, we'll, and planning ahead, meaning yeah. like, Hey, we need to plan a family weekend or yeah. some oh, family yes. time. Um, and so trying to be a little bit more proactive about that has really helped us yeah. when we, when we do that. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, we're going to do that this year. I think with the paper calendar is like first thing we're going to schedule is the family time. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, and then, so if anybody asks me to do anything at the district and say, Ooh, I'm sorry, I already have a prior commitment. Mm-hmm. Wow. This has been really, really helpful. Thank you for coming on and sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd be remiss or in some sort of trouble if I didn't say that you're amazing. (laughs) Thank you for coming on and sharing your amazingness with everyone listening. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's fun to be on this side of the, I don't know what, microphone. There you go. The microphone. 
All right. All right, that's it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Dear Teacher, Don't Give Up. Here are some of the great takeaways that I'll be leaving this conversation with. First, from Rob, if your spouse is getting carried away by work, bring it to their attention sooner rather than later. Also, create a time and space at home that is work-free, a place for your spouse to recharge and not have to think about the stresses of the job. That's probably going to take a lot of negotiating on the part of one spouse to the other, but I think it's something really, really worth pursuing. Then, from Lindsay, when you decide to talk to your spouse about the time he or she is putting in at work, start with how you are feeling while also validating their feelings, and then work toward a solution as a team. I know from personal experience, which you heard about, that that's a really, really great way to go, because as I hear my spouse's feelings about the situation, not what I'm doing, but the feelings, it causes me to lean in. So I can't recommend that enough. If today's episode caused you to think of a teacher you know, and if you think it may be a help to that person, join me in getting us all connected so that, as fellow educators, we can all help one another move from surviving to thriving. Finally, if you are currently working in education and have ever thought about leaving the classroom, or right now, you're a classroom teacher looking for the nearest exit, I want to hear your story. Please email me at makethemmasterit at gmail.com. I'm not kidding when I say this. I really want to hear your story. I want to hear all about it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share Dear Teacher Don't Give Up today on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, or wherever you may be listening. I'm your host, Jeffrey E. Frieden, and if you've hung in until the end, Lindsay really is an amazing wife and mom, and I can't say that enough. <laughs>